I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch poorly lit sex scenes. Peter, how you holding up, little buddy? <laughs> doing, doing all right. I mean, just just surviving one day at a time. Yeah, how's your how's your comfort blanket? <laughs> uh, my comfort blanket is good. Uh, it's actually been tattered at the edges from me rending it with my teeth <laughs> and my claws so much. And sometimes you just don't want to get up from your rocking back and forth, and you just you know, blankets are fabric. Yeah, you can eat those. Yeah, you can eat those, and they soak up urine. They do. They they soak it right up. Yeah. Right up. It's like a towel. (laughs) I think somebody sneaks in my apartment and pees on my uh, sweatpants sometimes while I'm rocking gently and thinking about uh, the horrible future that we live in. See, I actually have one of my dogs pees on my sweatpants. That's... He just just started, like, a couple months ago, but I was coming home. I have, like, four or five pairs of pajama pants because I like pajama pants. And... (laughs) This is, uh, this is the beginning of those convoluted, uh, I don't have a drinking problem story ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, no, but I come home from work, put on my pajama pants like I always do, and then I'd be like, this feels wet around the leg, and then I'd smell it, and it was dog urine, and we don't, I mean, like the dog, the only dog that's out and free to roam during the day is like seven years old, he doesn't pee on stuff, mm-hmm. and and so I thought it was a weird fluke thing. And then it happened like three more times over the course of a couple of weeks. Anytime the door to the room that I put my pajama pants in was open and it was like, oh, he – ever since we got Doug, he's been uh, – even though he's my wife's dog first, he like has been very possessive of me. So I think because I wear my uh, pajama pants quite a bit at, in the house, um, I think that he has decided that this is his way of underlying that I am his person in this house. <laughs> Yeah, he's owning you. Uh, yep. he, he can definitely smell that they're yours because I imagine that they're sweatpants. They've got they've got some stank on them. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Because I I I sometimes forget to pull pull them down when I'm going to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Maybe there's a different answer for why my sweatpants keep smelling like pee. Um, so we're doing a movie called uh, The Blood of Heroes. Which is a movie from 1990 starring Rutger Hauer about a future sport. Because this is future sport February. We're going to be talking about that. Now, here's the thing about this movie. We're going to get into our thoughts on it. Neither of us had seen it. I hadn't even heard about it ever until a couple months ago when Peter brought it up as a suggestion for this month. And we always like to do movies that maybe there's some hidden classics out there. Maybe there's something that hasn't no one's talked about. We, we like to mix up the selections of our show. 
This is a movie that probably not that many of you have seen based on just looking at Friends Letterbox uh, markings and uh, the fact that it did $800,000 at the box office and that uh, the DVD release is a dub from the VHS, which uh, the Amazon uh, available rental is also. So we know that this is going to be a you know an episode that probably not that many people will tune into. Because we we recommend that you see the movie before we talk about it, and you probably haven't seen this movie. In this case, I'll spoiler: you shouldn't see this movie, <laughs> um, especially not based on the uh, platforms that's available on. Yeah, if it gets a 4K restoration, uh, maybe I'll see it. I still want to see it, uh, but regardless, we'll so we want we want to you know. We have podcast people listen to our thoughts, go out there into the ether. People hear them. We don't know how they react. We try to say interesting things. We try to say stuff that people aren't going to be made angry by. We try not to, like, call out individual people that we have, like, a relationship with uh, in some capacity. That's not a good thing to do on a podcast. As a matter of fact, right before we recorded this, uh, I said that Trump was worse than – is probably going to be long-term worse than our country than 9-11. She goes, don't say that. And I said, well, I said it on a podcast at one point. Um, so, you, like, yeah, you don't no want to say stuff like that. No complaints. Uh, also, because no one listened. Uh, everyone skipped right past that part. <laughs> by, by our advice. So, so we, you know, probably, we understand this is not going to be the most listened to episode. So, you know, we have a lot of fresh air out there. We got some room to breathe. We're just going to so play an just- episode of fresh air. <laughs> with Terry Gross. Um, so, uh, but chipmunked. <laughs> um, so we're just going to say some stuff that we normally would not exit our lips. And if they did, exit our lips would be cut immediately in editing. We're going to leave all this stuff in. Yeah. Our lips are unsealed. Yeah. Like the band. <laughs> yes. Our, li- our lips are sealed. Our lips are sealed. Just like the band. Our, our lips, lips are sealed. sealed. Yeah. That's probably a band name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or there's also the Go Go's. There's also the Go Go's. I think the name. <laughs> yeah, our lips Go-Go's. are not sealed by the Went Wens. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all, right. all right, Peter. Why don't you go first? <laughs> um. So yeah. Uh, first thing that I haven't mentioned in other episodes, but I feel like I need to get off my chest is my real my real interest is not in movies but bird watching. No. That's boring. Yeah. Um, the other day I saw a, a brown bird and a red bird. <laughs> Did you mark them down in your book? Yeah, I wrote I wrote one brown and one red. Nailed it. Yeah, it's graph paper. Hold on. So it's graph paper. Have you just written columns with all the primary colors? Yes. And then you just like do little tallies? Yes. I have one for blue, but I've never seen a blue bird before. Um, I, I want to just, just, just for my own edification here, you're not one of those like super regressive people that refers to women as birds. <laughs> no, I mean literal birds, okay. but I okay. do have a column for women with wings. Okay. Walk me through that. <laughs> I've never seen one. But if I see one, I won't. But you believe don't. Room. Yeah, you don't want to rule out the world's a magical place. Yeah, I get it. I would have to get a bigger notebook or something, and I I need that. I decided to to put that in the column. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's totally boring. Would get edited out normally. On top of that, you walked us through your process, which when when you say something that's boring as a thesis statement and then go into detail, that is like 
so unfascinating. Oh, it shit. is almost fascinating. Hold on. Oh my god, there's a brown bird right outside my window. Oh, okay. Oh, no, it's just nighttime. I, I can't tell what color it is. Maybe it's a squirrel. Does your city have a lot of smog still? If there's if there are brown birds at night, not blackbirds. I have no idea. I have no idea what color it is. It's it's rather dark. I'll have to put it down in the mystery column. <laughs> okay, that goes with like also ones you were too drunk. You're like maybe I saw two birds. <laughs> maybe it was a leaf. Maybe it was a leaf. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I have one. Uh, this one's true. Um, not that, not that I'm saying that yours isn't, but you know, it just, it, this just hasn't come up, uh, on the podcast. Uh, don't know why it would, but I have gout. Yeah. That's something that we've never mentioned before or riffed on. No. Also, here's a fun thing about, uh, starting a podcast with somebody that you, um, became friends with over the internet. You've never seen my big toes. Well, I've never seen your massive, oh, inflated feet that look like you're in uh that last scene in blade where uh those those two ninjas are getting blown up by the the poison blood uh syringes you have an accurate idea of what gout is like (laughs) dash uh the really really angry angry swordsman from big trouble little china yep all that that's what it's like what is it like to be like that um so occasionally um i limp for a couple days that sounds really... It sounds interesting. Like, you can have really bad... It just means your uric acid... It's like a form of arthritis. And my, like, uric acid is, like, barely over the request. So, I, I... This is true. I thought that, like, every once in a while for, like, five years, I just got ingrown toenails and my toe would swell up as a result. Um, Who expects gout? No one... Yeah, I was 25 the first time it happened. So, you said uric acid. Does that mean your leg is full of pee? So you get full of pee, yeah. Sometimes when my leg, the pee sacs in my leg get full, oh. they drizzle down to my toe. Toe swells up for a little bit. Well, I'll have you know that pee comes from the balls, so maybe you should get your balls checked out. That, it's that thing where, like, you know how your balls sometimes rub against your leg? If you do that too much, the pee transfers to your leg pee sacs. Oh, condensation. I read about that. It's condensation, yep. It's evaporation. It's emasculation. It's all of them. All of them. <laughs> all the lations. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll let you know. I'll let you know for every recording and I have a gout attack. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what they're called. I said that once to someone in my family and they laughed, thought I had made it up. Nope. Called a gout attack. When you get attacked with your gout. My brother-in-law has it as well. And my brother-in-law. Well, that's not that interesting. <laughs> Something else I wouldn't mention. Uh, Uh, All right. What else do you got? What else would you um, normally talk about? So, because my primary interest is bird watching, uh, I'm in this for the money. So, I'm filled with bitter anger at each and every one of our listeners for not sending me money, which is my favorite thing. Oh, so you and Dustin have that in common. Yes. Um, We have nothing else in common. So, have you given our listeners your address? (laughs) I figure that they should just be able to figure it out. There's, I mean, how many addresses are there? Tops. (laughs) <laughs> I expect them to send money to every single location until someone says it's me yeah i am the host of this podcast please send more yeah <laughs> you can say it on the air hey zach groton great guests keep sending the money there <laughs> at least for the next year when they'll have my forwarding address <laughs> then you gotta guess again 
Yeah, I uh, I'm moving in a month, so um, start from the top of the stack. If you are in fact mailing letters out to every address to figure out where I live, yeah, start over. Start over. That's the thing. If you don't get it right in a certain amount of time, you have it's game over. You got to yeah. start from the first level. It it uh it's an incentive to keep it moving and to guess better. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, number two, I I make my wife call me Peter now in bed. I don't know. That's interesting. Um, not when we're having sex, just when we're like going to sleep. <laughs> just so- hey, good night, Peter, and I'll be like good night, Aaron, other host of We Love to Watch. <laughs> I like to get tucked into the idea of me being the podcast, but it'd be weird if I called her Aaron. So, no, wait, that's what we are doing. Uh, Hold on, let me me, me figure this out. It'd be weird if I was called my own name because then it's not, um, it's not play acting. It's not role playing. So, I have to be Peter in this scenario or else what are we even doing? You started that off with, it'd be weird if, as if every single variation of this idea wasn't completely weird. Well, I feel like you're judging. Oh, I'm sorry. Is it a comfort thing? I'm just I'm, I just like to go to bed yeah. like I'm on a podcast. Are you... A- <laughs> So you're kind of like a method podcast host. A method, yeah. And also much much like this podcast, I have trouble falling asleep or slash ending the podcast in a smooth way. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for sharing. My next one is something I just wouldn't share on a bigger episode uh, is my social security number is 325-48-8658. You, so you got LifeLock? Yeah. You yeah, can share it. it like the guy... Who shared it on the commercials, the owner of LifeLock. But it's cool because your life is locked. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, is this something that's only on during, like, golf or between diaper commercials? What the fuck is LifeLock? Oh, you don't know what LifeLock is? No. It, <laughs> like, monitors – if someone tries to – it, like, monitors your information. Yeah, I'm so confident that no one will listen to this episode that I don't really mind just leaving it out there. Okay. I mean, I've already tried to apply for three credit cards. <laughs> been rejected. Wait, three, two, five, four, eight, yeah. eight, six, five, eight. Did you enter? I, I, I don't know if you gave the wrong social security number or if uh, your credit is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll destroy my own identity. That way yeah. no one else will want it. <laughs> Good fucking luck. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what i do if anybody ever tries to mug me i just start eating my money <laughs> <laughs> this is for fiber <laughs> all right well thank thank you for sharing so i my my number three we have a lot of guests on this show you really shouldn't ever say anything directly negative about a guest because not only may they they might not come back on they may Hurt you in, in listenership, in people that you share with, especially in a tight-knit group. I, but, I, but I gotta say, I just don't believe that Michael Garneri has ever seen a movie. <laughs> I, think, I think that he researches them. I think he puts together some amazing presentations on movies. He doesn't seem to actually talk about seeing them ever. <laughs> yeah, I think he um, has uh, one of those Wikipedia subscriptions. You know the website Wikipedia. Oh yeah, I got a subscription. <laughs> well, I get I get Wikipedia in the mail every month. It's uh, nineteen thousand pages in, in every month <laughs> with a font of one. With a font of one, yes. You gotta and... get the Wikipedia brand microscope. <laughs> <laughs> and so I have that the the Wikipedia. It, it costs 
uh, appropriately $500,000 a month. Yeah, I mean, that's why you guys have to move to the West Coast, where it's cheaper to live. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Some of the stuff Michael Cardinieri is saying, I think you could get from a Wikipedia article. Or just like a Google image search, because he'll be like, hey, look at these two people. They look similar. And you'll be like, okay, those people are in movies. So have you seen those people in movies? He never answers it. Yeah, he's he just, very evasive. He's very evasive. I don't think he's ever seen a movie. Uh, I'd love him to, to prove us wrong. I'd like him to come to our house, your house, preferably, <laughs> and you make him watch a movie. And then after it's done, if you could look him right in the eye and say, was that your first movie? Tell me the truth. And my guess is he's going to say, yeah, that what, was my first movie. What if he has the, the eyes of a snake and a liar? I mean, I assume he has those. I assume though those aren't his eyes. I think those are the good luck eyes he carries with him at all times. <laughs> you know about good luck eyes? Yeah. Well, the duplicitous always have good luck eyes. Yeah. He'll probably be like the whole time he's watching the movie, he'll be like doing that thing where he rotates them around in his hand like a magician with those silver balls. Yeah. It's also to, to um, help prevent hand cramps. <laughs> like well magicians get a lot of hand cramps yeah yeah the sleight of hand it's very yeah. it's very uh daunting on the uh yeah it's it's their whole thing is their hands peter i don't know why you're arguing with me about this calm down yeah a, ma- a magician if they lose if they lose their hands they're not going to be very good magicians yeah they, they won't <laughs> <laughs> so yeah michael gardari probably never seen a movie please come back on the show it's only safe to assume that he's never seen a movie. Uh, I don't want to step out on a limb and say he has. My next one is, I suspect that one of the hosts of this podcast is trying to murder me, but I don't want to do it on a bigger episode for fear that the pressure might make him do it. Was that supposed to give doubt to who it was? Because at one point you said, I don't want to do it on this episode <laughs> because he will, your pronouns either were insanely clever or terribly written <laughs> the call is coming from inside the house yeah, yeah uh, i just suspect that someone one of us two is trying to kill me good odds <laughs> <laughs> the i mean if, if you do get killed it is by usually someone you know very well yeah i mean it's usually not a stranger uh, and uh you know the call is usually coming from inside the house I mean, it could be a stranger where you live, which, as I understand it, in Chicago is a war-torn hellscape uh, yeah. that they need to send the troops into. I would love for them to send in the troops because I love the troops so much that I just want to give them a big old kiss. They'll love that. Soldiers love nothing more than when you run up to give them a hugs and kisses while they're on duty. Yeah, it's like that deep thought where um, I think a good gift for the president would be a chocolate gun, and I think <laughs> he'll be so excited to get it, you should get it to him as quick as possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, or like the one where he's like you know if i were ever drafted to go into war i would throw one of those tiny little baby pumpkins <laughs> and then while everyone is sitting around staring at the baby pumpkin wondering about the absurdity of war i'll throw a real grenade <laughs> <laughs> we should do a podcast called like incorrectly worded deep thoughts where we just like remember them <laughs> we're just ruining and butchering the uh, <laughs> yeah. the phrasing that jay candy put into that yeah you get the idea all right um uh my next one is i i did vote for clinton in the last election for president 
But then I voted for Republicans down ticket because I believe in checks and balances. Now, unfortunately, only the checks were elected. <laughs> but <laughs> I still feel like, in theory, my vote was solid. It's like I personally, I really want universal health care. So that was one vote. But I believe in compromise. So then the other side wants me to die without access to that health care. And I bet if they meet in the middle, they're going to come up with something really great. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, for slightly different reasons, uh, I voted for um, someone that uh, you know would fight for universal health care, and then I fought for someone that would take it away because of a plot to kill me on this very episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, I mean, let's be honest—you don't deserve nice things. Yeah, why would I deserve to be alive much longer? No, you should have the like idea of the nice thing put right in front of your face and then just yanked away at the last second and that teaches you American resolve yeah and I don't want to I don't want to be the reason that some millionaire d couldn't get zebra wood in his yacht yeah no you should be lifting yourself up by your bootstraps and then learning to be a doctor and then fix yourself <laughs> that's so true with medicine that you make in your bathtub yeah, I mean, I, um, speaking of which, uh, I have been making uh, medicine in my bathtub for several years, um, but it's not for... Uh, you just don't I, drain I, your baths? <laughs> yeah, it's just penicillin. Uh, but it's not for uh, any sort of physical ailment so much as it's to chase the sads away, uh, and it's bathtub gin. Oh, okay. I mean, gin's not that expensive. Yeah, actually, uh, I don't know why I... I tend to buy it in these big bottles and then fill up the bathtub with them oh okay you just like you like uh doing like uh, james franco and spring breakers mm -hmm. like look at all my shit you're like look at all my gin <laughs> i have the most gin yeah you're like hey have hey come on uh, why don't you come into the house have you seen the dining room the kitchen uh have you seen the bathtub full of gin yeah. that's really the centerpiece of this tour i didn't think my apartment was appropriately chicago enough so, uh, yeah, bathtub full of gin was the way to go. That's great. So my number five. Oh, no, wait, that was my number four. Your turn. My favorite movie is actually Fern Gully, but I don't want to seem like a dumb baby who sucks his thumb. So I don't say it. Uh, which which rainforest was that one again? Was that the first? Um, it's about all the rainforests, I think, generally speaking. Do you not know the subtitle of your favorite movie? Uh, Secret of the Amazon. <laughs> It's the last rainforest. <laughs> it's Fern Gully colon the last, the last rainforest. rainforest. Yeah, man, they should have kept some more of those rainforests yeah. around. Spoilers. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I thought that I needed to come up with like a cool big boy answer, so I said John Carpenter's the thing, but really it's it's Fern Gully. Um, and luckily, no one will listen to this and think that I'm a little baby. I mean, probably not. Because everyone knows that only one of those movies has Robin Williams, the indefeasible Robin Williams, as favorite animated character of all time, Betty, the bat. <laughs> the, the role he won several Oscars for. I like, when you think of Robin Williams' animated movie, you think, number one, Batty the Bat. Number two, all those racist voices he did in Happy Feet. There's no number three. <laughs> 
it kind of sucks that like he was in for like 20 minutes of Mrs. Doubtfire and then they brought in that other woman to play the role. Yeah. She was terrible. Yeah. She was awful. That's why you've never seen her in another movie. Yeah. And then he just pops in at the end to like, just comes to the end to kiss Sally Field. And I'm like, I am not tracking this movie at all. (laughs) This guy just abandoned his family. And then uh, a wise nanny came in and convinced him that he should come back. And then he magically realized that the family forgave him. She's got leprosy. There's that one scene where parts of her are falling off. And then the family doesn't care that she just disappears. Like, your nanny died of leprosy. Why don't you care? All right, my last one is... um, you really should not say this on your podcast, but I'm not entirely sure this was a great segment. <laughs> Couldn't think of anything else. Uh, didn't have the best answers in the segment. Just kind of a, uh, probably a heavily editable bust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I wish that we hadn't said numbers before any of them because that's going to make hard make this hard to edit around. Yeah. <laughs> Look, if we cared about continuity, I got to tell you. These podcasts feature references to things that have been edited out. Um, And my last one is... And that's what I really think. So, okay. I know we said we won't edit anything out. Like, remove the sound. But I can't imagine that's going to make it past the censors. Yeah. um, I, I... I just feel like I needed to get it off my chest. Uh, you know how I feel about those people. Um, and you know how I feel about that guy. So uh, now that I've said it and it is in the podcast in full form, I have nothing to be afraid of. I mean, they lost so many times to the Harlem Globetrotters. I cannot <laughs> believe that you think they're the greatest basketball team of all time. But you know what? You got to live with yourself. <laughs> Fucking heroes. They lose. They sacrifice. They're the modern Jesus Christs of basketball. They lose every week. Well, they are like five Jesus Christs because they're white, right? Yeah. <laughs> Based on my understanding of what the Christians in this country keep telling me. Have the Washington Generals ever won or is it a Scooby-Doo thing where like they're physically incapable of winning? You mean like a Charlie Brown thing? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's like a Scooby-Doo thing where after the end of every game, they take off the Harlem Globetrotters mask. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Jordan! <laughs> That's why you keep beating us. Oh, we would have got away from it if it wasn't for you nasty Washington generals. <laughs> no, it would just be the Harlem Globetrotters uh, pulling a piece of paper out of the Washington generals' pockets and be like, and they're like, a script? <laughs> You've been throwing these games for 50 years? The rules? <laughs> I didn't know that ladders weren't allowed on the court. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, that was fun. In a way. Do you want to talk about the blood of heroes? I would love to talk about the B of H. Five second recap. People play a sport called jugger 
Until they win. Did they win? Because that was confusing. <laughs> I was very... I thought the penultimate match, what I, what turned out to be the penultimate match, was the final match. And I'm like, who won that? <laughs> yeah, I'll explain the rules in a little bit. Um, can, cannot wait. So, um, I'm going to do something a little different for the 90-second recap. We, know, we don't normally do this, but I got to tell you, I don't know what the fuck happened in this movie. Especially for a movie that most of our audience probably has not seen. I don't feel comfortable trying to, like, guess my way through it. So I'm going to quickly read the Wikipedia plot summary because I don't know what the fuck happened. And also, I gained a lot of insight from this movie from reading these four paragraphs. (laughs) So maybe you will, too. So this movie, this film is set in a post-apocalyptic future where the wars raged in the 20th century have left the world barren and the past forgotten. Most live from hand to mouth. In enclaves known as market towns or dog towns, there's like there's like 200 words, and they're like, let's make sure they know both the words for their towns that show up for 30 <laughs> seconds. Scrounging out a bare substance, harvesting hardy crops, raising dogs as food, and trading in trinkets from the past. What little entertainment exists comes primarily from a brutal sport known as the game. It is played by bands of roving teams known as jugs. Sounds like a slur. Yeah. Who who challenge local teams. They might be considered professional athletes as they make their living through the tribute paid by the town people should they defeat the local team. Don't know what that sentence means. I think I got this movie more than you. We continue. Their trophy is the dog skull from the town. The game involves two armored teams of five attempting to score by placing a dog skull on the opposing team's goalpost. One unarmed player, the quick runs with the skull while being protected by his teammates from attack by the opposing team. Not all this time lives so sparsely. The nine cities buried deep under the ground are home to affluent and powerful members of the aristocracy. Each of the nine cities fields its own team of jugs in an organization called the League, and its membership is maintained with a fresh stream of new players who are proven veterans of the traveling quote-unquote Dogtown games by their collection of trophy skulls. Members of the League live in luxury almost equal to that of aristocrats. It is a dream among roving jugs to be good enough to get the League's attention, and with it, all of the luxuries afforded to a League player. The team consists of Salo, Dog Boy, Bulu, Big Simber, and Yungar. Salo, the team leader, has played in the League of the Nine Cities before, but was cast out because of his indiscretions with an overlord's concubine. Uh, Kidda, an ambitious peasant girl, joins the team after a game in her dog town where she virtually destroyed her competition. She and Gar inspire Sal to challenge the league and espunge his past, but Kidda and Gar do not realize that the city games are far more than honor and victory. They will need to fight for their survival. The game is played much harder and meaner in the nine cities. So, you may notice that doesn't even have a fucking ending for the plot summary. That's but the plot so summary weird. is they they win. And everyone's really excited about it. Like, everyone. Except the two uh, members of the League who don't seem that excited about it. Yeah, the aristocracy doesn't seem excited, basically. There's two people. Let's The aristocracy is two people in white makeup. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. I think I... So, you have some problems with how the game works, right? I'll just say... Let's, let's start with some very overall thoughts. And then you can explain the game... Oh yeah, then, background on this, background to this. Both of us have never fucking seen this movie. Uh, and I did not I did not like it at all. We should say that the print that we both watched, which is the only one that exists, even on DVD, is a really bad, like, VHS full screen dub that looked like 
a photograph that has been left in the sun for like 20 years. But this doesn't have the promise of some movies I've seen where like I would love to watch a um, is it Warriors of the Lost World? Is that yeah. the Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie? Yeah. Uh, I would love to see a beautiful restoration of that movie because I'm convinced that Warriors of the Lost World is like two thirds of a really good movie. Um, like I liked, I love the Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode on it, but like when you're watching it, like yeah, it's 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 it looks like shit, so it's really easy to make fun of because it's just so unappealing. <laughs> yeah, like on a visceral level, it's just this like these black bars that are sort of like this is why I hate VHS culture, like a lot. I don't hate all VHS culture, but I just hate this, like, people that, like, glorify VHSs to such an amazing degree. VHSs just make me so sleepy when I watch them. I should say, though, so the whole time I'm watching this, I'm kind of like, this looks like shit and is, like, I just want it to be over. Is that hurting my enjoyment of what's going on on screen? And I really, I got to say, I don't think it did. It made it a little bit harder to watch physically. But I think the movie is a big piece of shit, and even though it has a lot of really good actors that I like in this movie, a lot of actors that I like in general, I do not like them in this movie. I don't think they're given anything to do that's interesting. There's nothing funny about it. There's nothing – like, this movie is just – it's not offensive like a Mother's Day, but there's just nothing about this movie I enjoyed. My overall thoughts on the movie are similar. I think I'm a little friendlier because I can see some of the promise in the movie. But yeah, I think it's weird. I think it's off because it's generic in a certain way, which saps a lot of my enjoyment from it. Yeah. And my overall thoughts in the movie are basically that it decides at around a two-thirds mark when it's introducing some very strange and unique elements, it decides right then that it's actually going to be a fairly traditional sports movie um, where the minor league team rises up through the ranks then they take on the major leagues and the major league team player eventually comes around to respecting the the scrappy minor leaguers and the minor leaguers even have an ex-member of the major leagues in them, which is, I think, partially the plot of one of the major league movies. (laughs) And then at the end of the movie, like the the scrappy team, uh, you know, beats the the big expensive league team, and even the league team has to respect them. Like that's like a that's like a karate yeah. kid thing. That's like a, yeah, it, it's a traditional sports movie thing. And I think the movie deciding to become super traditional in its third act really hurts it. I agree with you one hundred percent because it, it's it's and that's why I honestly felt. That this wasn't just, I'm judging this based on some bad visuals that this print is giving me because the, the, the story structure is terrible. The editing is terrible. The tonal shifts are bizarre and it never shifts to an interesting area. It's either like this weird, impoverished, depressing reality that gives you like no camp. There's no camp in this movie. There is nothing that is over the top enough to make the ridiculousness of the sport they are playing fun. And so yeah, it's, it's just this dirty, depressing, sand-eater farmer's world with a sport that's impossible to keep up with some of the strangest editing decisions I've ever seen with uncompelling characters across the board. And then, like, and then it becomes a weird 
Dunish, and then it turns into this very Dunish quality near the end, like kind of like a little bit of sprinkle of Dune on it. Where there's like and, there's like a massive alien skull type thing inside this underground lair, and there's like people in these like sleek black costumes, like having these chamber side discussions with one another. Yeah, like I see some of the some Dune in there. The problem is, is that I do think the last half hour is better than the first hour. I disagree. But I, but I but I actually think that the the weird thing about it is I actually feel like oh now I've been given something mildly interesting to look at like there's something interesting but it's still not good I just think it gets marginally better than terrible so my thoughts are if we if we agree to divide the movie into you know three acts or whatever um, it's not really three acts but let's call the first two thirds. Uh, all the outside desert stuff and then the last third is all the underground stuff um the league uh challenge uh, with that I, I found the first half of the movie or the first two-thirds of the movie way more compelling for a few reasons and one of which is just the way movies work is that the first half of it is full of possibility <laughs> so like even a movie you hate like the first half of the movie should feel like full of possibilities like things can change things can happen and so i was still waiting to see like where the fuck this movie was gonna go like were they eventually gonna murder each other like what kind of movie was it gonna be two uh the advantage that the first two-thirds has is that it is uh at least well lit the movie has been cropped to full screen and the only added out there is this crappy vhs which is a shitty thing to have to hold against the movie but but also, I think this movie the was movie shot is. with with the Dogma ninety five rules, where <laughs> the it's only natural lighting. The I can't imagine an HD version that makes some of the night scenes or the underground scenes uh, understandable with their visual cues because it is just so poorly put together. And I don't think that there is any like lighting. I think I think it's all like all natural. Maybe that's something the director was going for that made no fucking sense. Yeah, like I imagine Django Unchained would look like shit if uh, you ripped it to a VHS and then um, I don't know ran that VHS tape through your ass like a hundred times. Um, my other so the first two thirds of the movie I think are better, obviously because the lighting is better, just because you can actually see what's happening. Uh, the, the whole movie has the framing dash editing problem where you can't tell who's the good guys and who's the bad guys because everyone is wearing dark leather rubber plastic costumes. And if at the beginning of the movie, you're introduced to our team and there's this like interesting montage over the opening credits, which is all the juggers on both sides putting their costumes on. The problem is they don't let you get a good enough look at the juggers on our side and the movie doesn't track just our juggers during that montage. So when the game starts, half of them are, oh, sorry, four out of five of them are wearing masks or three out of five of them are wearing masks. So you can't tell who's on whose side. Uh, you know that the dude swinging the chain and the fast dude that kind of looks like he's suffered radiation damage is our guy, the uh, the dog, dog boy. Um <laughs> And, you know, they're on the team. Everybody else, they're just, like, fighting in the background. And it looks like they're, like, extras in a movie. Yeah. Because, like, they're not... The fight doesn't matter. You can't tell who it is. You don't can't, can't really tell what side they're on. It's just sort of, like, filler combat. And I think in the first two-thirds of the movie, it had this sort of... Um, it had a very interesting approach to a post-apocalyptic movie. Or at least I thought it might have had a, an interesting approach to a post-apocalyptic movie. Which is the idea that, like... When you are scraping by for resources, 
it would be amazing. And there's no TV, there's no books, like there's not really much music to be had. It would be amazing if you could either join or watch a team of roving sportsmen that go from town to town and like that's the thing you get excited about because like apparently everybody agrees on the jugger rules uh which is <laughs> sure which is also interesting because there's the, the modern jugger stuff there's an australia a german and a u.s uh league uh primarily like those are the three big ones it sounds like and they don't even have the same rules on what you can use and it's like motherfuckers there's probably like 500 of you like I agree that the opening is super confusing, and also it's confusing because you're right. There's just people that just seem to be hitting each other with, like, American Gladiator or whatever those bars are, and uh, it's like, are these guys part of the game? And it doesn't help that they have the most unconvincing extras, like, uh, 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 like, they, they don't have good, like, stuntmen in the back. But I was so – it wasn't that I was confused about the necessarily the rules of Jugger, and that's why I, I want you to get into it here, because it just was like, okay, so that's the dumbest fucking game. And it doesn't help that the director seems unable to shoot something the way a normal sports movie person would shoot something. He gives you no context for what's going on or what the goal is. Why don't you explain the rules of this fucking dumbass – Sport. Um, so, okay. So, first off, let me take a step back. David David Webb Peebles wrote this movie. Uh, who also I, wrote Unforgiven yeah, and Blade Runner. I'm a, like, I'm a big fan of him, actually. Um, yeah. He wrote 12 Monkeys. Uh, yep. He ad- adapted 12 Monkeys from Le Jete. So, it's basically an original script. He wrote uh, Blade Runner, adapted from the book. Uh, he wrote Unforgiven, which was original. I think he writes with his wife um, on some of these or all of these. Um, so, uh, he is like an Oscar winning, you know, or Oscar nominated uh, screenplay uh, writer. And this was his writer-director debut. And he made up this game for the sport. And actually, what's funny is like, I, uh, <laughs> the reason I got interested in this movie a bunch of years ago, but just never pulled the trigger on it is because I'm weirdly enough, like one of my B movies that I champion is Soldier with Kurt Russell. And I really liked, I really liked Soldier, uh, Soldier which is weirdly enough, like, Technically, because of little details he threw in just for fun, is like a sidequel to Blade Runner. He's he's a, a pretty well, pretty respectable guy who writes scripts that I'm really into. Um, and Leviathan, which I've been pushing for on this show. I've never seen Leviathan, so I think I haven't great. either. So, yeah, he writes well-regarded well genre movies generally. And uh, this was his like original script that he really, really pushed for. And he got a $10 million budget, which does not show. And he wrote this this sport. So, it's called The Game in the movie, but in real life, they call it Jugger, just for a more, like, specific thing. So, the game is supposed to be this universal thing that everybody understands. Yeah. And that's why they call it The Game, because it's not, you know, a game. It's it's the one everyone talks about. Uh, a Jugger is an individual. Uh, jugs is a team. Uh, when they win, they win the dog skull of the team, or of the of the the town that they're in that's why they're uh, the, the judges are inspecting dog skulls to make sure there's not like counterfeit or something <laughs> with and, all the unlimited resources they have to make the counterfeit ones yeah um and stones are thrown against this plate to keep time so 100 stones are per third and there's obviously obviously three thirds in a game and it's um winner oh. take winner take all so, so that's why there's only on. two thirds so, in the yeah so, I actually want you to back up there. So, 
I miss the timing thing completely because I have a note in here about where that one uh, offensive stereotype of a character at the end is like yelling out time. I'm like, when did time become a factor in this fucking game? So it's uh, it, it's kind of they kind of talk about it throughout the movie. Actually, they do because uh, they talk about how 20 they should be able to defeat this this shitty team in under 20 stones and they took them 100 in the first round and he says they won't go 26 this round yeah i thought it was just like shitty future slang and i didn't realize that that was like a unit of measurement yeah that's the it's this guy throws the stones against the this plate and then that's essentially like i guess you know people keep track of it that's also how the real life game is played uh there's stones um Jugger is a very strange sort of sport. So there's like you mean the game, the game. Uh, in real, I don't li- like that it's called the game. Yeah. So there's the game. The ge- it's fine because it's sort of like lending a universality to it, but like it's just annoying. So there's there's a quick, which is sort of like the wide receiver or whatever. It's the person running for the ball, but it's also and they're of, defenseless. Yeah, they're like a. It's sort of rugby though. So like you can. Your knees hitting the ground doesn't, like, end your run or something. Like, you can keep going. Uh, as long as somebody is not physically detaining you to the ground, you're you're good. Um, there's a slash, which is what Ruger Hauer is. Uh, and they're, like, these big stick-wielding guys. They're not allowed to touch the ball, uh, the skull, I should say, with their hands, just with their stick. Let's say uh, there's a couple more positions that I don't, I can't really, like, describe because there's like back charge and drive i don't really know the difference between those two and then there's a a griffer and that's what uh, vincent d'onofrio is and he like swings a chain and he's supposed to sort of um play keep away from other people uh to defend his uh the the quick um and i don't know what the fuck like i don't know i'm 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 rejecting this podcast right now like (laughs) the same way that my eyes were rejecting the movie my ears are rejecting so, that. So, here's the thing. is like, I get it that it's, like, it'd be cute, like, if you were a huge fan of this movie to, like, get, a ga- get like, a, some people together and play this game and just see how crazy it is. But, like, motherfucker, this game doesn't make any sense unless you're in a post-apocalyptic world where you can break legs and beat the shit out of each other. Like, the point of the game is that it's supposed to be this sort of barbaric thing where... As long as you kind of win, nobody cares if you, like, break someone's leg. Like, our character, who starts as an audience identification character, and then she sleeps with two or three of the men in the movie, and then she kind of isn't isn't anymore once she decides that she's both ambitious for the game and then she doesn't want to play the but game. She's, like, but she starts out being awesome at the game. And, and then that's how she joins the team. character, right? Yeah, I, I, but I don't know because she already understands the game. No one teaches her the game. She's so good at the game that the uh, Rutger Hauer's team is like, "Come join us on our team." Like, well, there is there is a brief brief uh, training section. So we should maybe we this is a good uh, time to say that both of us fell asleep watching this movie. Yeah, I had to split it into two viewings, and it is a ninety minute movie. Yeah, I mean, I fell asleep in the first fifteen minutes. Um, and I was watching during the day when my daughter was napping on a Sunday and then I watched it, I like rewound five minutes. And so maybe I was drifting off and like missed a little bit where they, where she felt like an audience identification uh, character, but I don't know. Here, so here's why this is frustrating is because at the end of the day with all these dumb complex rules, fine. Um, and I'm not trying to be dismissive, but it's basically at the end of 
all of this explanation, it's like football with weapons, and they fuck that up really bad. Do you feel like that's fair? Like, they overcome, instead of just being like, it's like football, which is a game that all the audience people understand, and then they have these, like, little tweaks to it. They have weapons, and sure, they use a dog skull instead of a ball. Just something with, let's take this post-apocalyptic sport and make it a direct correlation with an existing sport, but, like, more barbaric, because that's the world that we're living in. Instead, they do this overcomplicated thing that even you explaining it, just it just made me feel, like, angry. It's like, I don't... You are not explaining what's going on, and you're shooting it poorly. There's there's two things that I think make where, you know, we're doing Future Sports Month. And this is kind of why I think this movie doesn't work. First of all, you need whatever your future sport is, the audience needs to not just understand almost immediately how it works, but they also need to like watching that future sport. This movie fails those tests. It's hard to understand what's going on in the sport. And what should be a lot of fun to watch, like, oh, barbaric rugby or barbaric football, it's not. The second thing is that I think future sports work really well in a dystopian future where you have this, like, this is a distraction from the fact that people are being oppressed. And I feel like it doesn't work as well in a post-apocalyptic future where people are distracted from finding food or something like that. Like it just, it doesn't have that same natural allegory or satirical point that these movies do when they're in a dystopian future. So those are my kind of two broad outlines of why I think this movie doesn't work. I don't think, I don't think the post-apocalyptic setting works particularly well for a future sport movie. And if it did, This is a bad movie to prove that because I can't follow or care about what's going on in the sport. So I think that the post-apocalyptic setting, uh, they could have done, I think with the first hour, they could have done something really interesting. It could have been more like a two-lane blacktop thing where we don't really follow the car races and the movie doesn't particularly care about following the car races. And there's actually a montage in the middle that reminded me of two-lane blacktop, which is... We don't know whether or not they're winning all these games or not, or who's winning or whatever. We're just learning <laughs> little things about their character. 30 minutes in. Yeah, there's we're just learning little things about their character, and there's like some good slow-mo shots, because like honestly, this movie only makes sense in slow-mo. It's sort of like Transformers, where shots only make sense in <laughs> slow-mo because they're so poorly framed and edited that uh, you just need to take editing out of it, and the frames need to last longer. <laughs> Uh, but even the slow-mo, not to derail this, even the slow-mo is accompanying with slow-mo sound effects where it's like blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really bad. But I like okay. I like some of the slow-mo stuff. Like uh, uh, there's a shot of Joan Chen slamming the dog head onto the spike and she's uh, – Yeah, that's good. And she's like – it's like raining and stuff. That was, that was a nice like diversity of palette in the movie because it was suddenly like a blue shot. Um, and then the movie went back to just being like this generic looking desert movie that somehow cost $10 million. So I would have liked it if it was more like a two-lane blacktop thing where it doesn't really care if they're winning or not. There's no They're not running towards a championship or whatever. They're just going to competitions. And we find out more about the characters and why they participate in this violent sport, the risks that they're taking – what what do they get in reward like they get like their choice of prostitutes and they get to get drunk like that's their reward they need to have each character sort of have their own motivation the the the, the battles have to be more brutal like the battles have to be 
these like drag out knockout fights that like feel like something that like in a post-apocalyptic environment where you know they're basically substituting a lot of real life violence now that there's some semblance of society they're substituting real life violence in this little game well yeah because there's a part near the end where Rutger Hauer's nemesis that is introduced way too late into the movie. And that scene is terribly stilted when they meet again, where, like, the the editing is really bad, where there's long pauses that might be there to increase dramatic effect, but instead it feels like they just forgot to, to snip the pauses in between lines as they cut shots. It's just filled with white noise because of the, it's, yeah, the transfer, it's, too. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really bad. There's a point where the, his nemesis is instructed by the League to take out Rutger Hauer's character. He said put, However, a pin in, he put a pin in his leg, which I didn't yeah. understand. Didn't get either. We're, we're 20 minutes to the end of the movie, and he says, purposefully hurting someone is against the rules. And I'm like, what? Isn't that what I've been watching this whole fucking movie? That's is people I- like, they're swinging fucking chains with spikes around and hurting someone is against the goddamn rules like i was i was so fed up with the movie at that point laura i'm just like what is this what are you talking about this is a this is a supposed to be like a there's not a society anymore so our sports are violent and we've seen that violence and now they're trying to act like uh inflicting violence on someone is is frowned upon like john chen is literally introduced by breaking the ankle of Dog Boy, per- yeah, and per- basically bringing him, basically like dooming him, because then they leave him with I forget the term, but they leave him to die in the desert, like by his choice, which is what you'd expect from fucking rugby with weapons or football with weapons. Um, and then so it just was so goddamn confusing what they were even going for, like in a very frustrating way. There was just nothing to grasp onto. On screen, and every time they they planted their flag, it just made no. It either was not interesting or made no sense, and not in a fun way. Not this. This is not a over the top, great lines. You know, interesting cinematography. Nothing about this is really like fun. Bad. This is like, well, that was a waste of time. Yeah, I, I um. It does feel like a waste of time because it doesn't seem to be saying anything and it doesn't seem and it's not thrilling at a visceral level. Uh, the only moment in the whole movie that I felt anything really was, or I guess I felt something when Joan Chen jo- got to join the team. So I was like, oh, cool, this audience identification character, that's pretty cool. And then uh, I felt something at the end when, when Ruger Hauer, who gets one good line in the whole fucking movie. And Ruger Hauer is one of the I'm most- the chugger now. Yeah, he's he's- <laughs> I'm the jugger now, bitch. <laughs> hey, look at me. I'm the jugger now. <laughs> um, he gets one great line in the movie, which is a fucking crime. Like that's a uh, that is an actual crime against movie dumb because he can deliver. What good line? Cr- and it's uh, at the end of the movie. Uh, she's about to run to the spike because all the, the the guys are held down, and he says, "Don't run, walk." Oh like, yeah, to, that, to, that is a good line. To taunt the the other team, basically, which also doesn't seem to go against. That seems to go against the sportsmanship of of the whole thing. But there's no sportsmanship in it, so they can't decide if the game is this brutal drag out thing that's supposed to be a sort of like a function of violence in a society that's trying not to be violent. They can't decide if it's just like this like 
uh, you know, backwater bullshit. Like, I, I would prefer if it stayed in the dog towns for the whole thing. And uh, it just, like, focused on, like, this crew getting ground up. And what they just kept asking the question, like, why would you ever go through this? Actually, I want I want to, before we talk about what the point was, and that doesn't need to be the end, but I'm honestly, like, I, you mentioned that you don't know what this movie's going for. I don't either, because, it again, its tonal shifts are just bizarre. Rutger Howard is a fantastic scene chewer you've seen flesh and blood the paul verhoeven movie yeah i really really like flesh and blood actually i I love it too and he is like this great pure villain but is also kind of the half protagonist of the story as well he's i don't even want to call him an anti-hero because he's just a monster through any but he's but he's so good at like being a charismatic monster that the movie's following and he is just everyone in this movie like vincent d'onofrio sure he didn't become big until later, although this was after Full Metal Jacket. Um, you know, Delroy Lindo, Joan Chen from Twin Peaks, and they are playing, like, death in the family drama. Like, they're just playing so monotone and so serious that there's just nothing to engage you with any of the characters in a way that, like, again, if you're making a post-apocalyptic violent sport movie, there should be a little bit of fun. And there's just no fun in this Yeah. Movie. The only fun part is when uh, Dog Boy says, uh, no animal carries the Dog Boy. Because they're talking about getting uh, a horse or a mule or something to carry yeah. Dog Boy <laughs> while his ankle hails. And I'm like, and it seems like he's saying that more out of respect for animals than for respect for himself. Yeah. Like he's no, like, no idea. <laughs> like, think about how they'll feel to have a dog on their back. Yeah. That's the fu- that's the only line that I had in the movie that was, like, made me laugh and made me feel like I was watching a goofy post-apocalyptic movie, like a boy and his dog. Get This movie's self-seriousness is a death blow to it in a way that is often not a death blow. I like a lot of, like, super self-serious movies that don't have a sense of humor. Like, this movie can't have – you can't have a sense of – no sense of humor and no sense of drama. Like, you can't yeah. have both. Yeah, my my note was that it's the problem is is not that it's ugly and confusing. The problem is it's ugly and confusing and boring. Yeah, like if the if the fights were really interesting because they are a large part of the movie, like maybe I could see carried through. But this movie has like such a massive pedigree to it that it does not deserve. And I have burned through like almost all my notes. Yeah, it's really, it's really. So let's let's talk about. I, I do have a couple moments that I did write down in my notes, but yeah, there's just not that much to talk about because it's there's nothing really to latch onto besides saying this has a great cast. I would recommend the following movies that you should watch to see this cast be great in. So at the end, it's. I thought it was going to turn into we're going to overthrow this um, this jugger society. And we're going to show them that we're just as good as anyone else. But that doesn't really happen. No. The two people as part of the league just look a little disappointed that their back team lost. And again, this is part of their wasteland teams come out and play these guys sometimes. It's almost like the owner of a Super Bowl team who's disappointed that they lost. But there's not like any talk about overthrowing or now they have the spoils or... We're going to take back Jugger for the for the Wasteland teams. There's, it ends very abruptly. I have no idea what this movie was trying to do, even from a basic entertainment level. 
Like, how, how does the movie think that you're supposed to feel at the end? Uh, I don't know. I think the movie's supposed to, you're supposed to feel thrilled that they won at this game, and I think that the movie wants you to to be so invested in this t- in this game that you just treat it at the end, you feel like a visceral thrill like you would at the end of a basketball movie when, you know, the scrappy underdogs win and, you know, they, they win the championship. I think you're supposed to feel that at the end of the movie. Here's what's weird about that, though. If that's what you're supposed to feel, as far as we c- I could tell, they were pretty undefeatable throughout the first hour of this movie. They only feel like underdogs in the sense that we've been told, oh, the league, really good. But normally in an underdog movie, and I'll, I'll mention the, the underdog movie that we all think about, which is The Mighty Ducks uh, 2. Normally naturally. in an under Naturally. D2, The Mighty Ducks, they you see them lose a bunch. They lose a bunch early on because they're overconfidence, right? Or at some point in the process. And then they have to pull together to either beat the final foe or get into a situation where they can compete to beat the final foe. And all we see in this movie is an hour of them kicking ass. And then they have to fight the league and you hear league's really tough. And then they beat the league team. Yeah. So are so are they an under like they're an underdog because of a few lines of dialogue, but this isn't how underdog movies work. They are an underdog because especially when they come in, they're like uh, they say like, you know, the farm teams are I mean dialogue, yes, but it's also world building. They say like the the farm teams basically, uh, whatever they are, the dogtown teams, they uh, have never won a uh, They've never won a challenge, and they've never made a challenge past 20 stone. They're setting up the sense that, like, these teams never even stand a chance against these well-funded, well-trained, probably pulling from the minor leagues, teams of juggers that work for the nine cities. Fair enough. It really doesn't work. But the other reason why it doesn't work... That's what I'm telling you. The whole third act just sucks because it just becomes a super traditional movie that throws out this idea that, like, the league is kind of shitty and the the nine cities are kind of just, like, this brutal society that, like, loves the taste of blood and loves lording over over these desert dwellers that are just, like, forced to work manual labor and give up all their nuts and bolts money to... Yeah. Well, and that's another reason why... Um, a, a classic sports underdog movie doesn't work in a post-apocalyptic wasteland because at the end of the Mighty Ducks 2, they get to go home, they kiss their girlfriends, everyone's happy, and then they go back to their school where they're heroes. Here, they go back to eating sand, like, and killing their dogs. Yeah, do they, <laughs> do they get to join the league again? Did, and is that something they mentioned. want? Is that good? I think winning the challenge lets you in the league. Yeah, but is living in the underground basement better than living in the So, I mean, the only reason the only reason that I say the last half hour is slightly better is cuz they introduce an antagonist even if it's terrible. I yeah, but I don't like the traditionalness of it. I like the movie when it's sort of this like rough like people wandering around the wasteland and taking on challenges and screwing and drinking. Like I like the movie better when it's sort of this wandering movie. And if you don't buy Jugger as a, if you don't buy the game as a, as a sport that you give a shit about, I don't see how the last 
chunk of it would work at all. I like the idea that there's probably going to be some juggers that are listening to this podcast and are just going to be, they're going to be heartbroken. I just hear us. They have spent their life playing the jugs and they're a, they're a team of jugs (laughs) (laughs) and they're like, holy shit. This movie podcast just did the blood of heroes. We've spent our life playing the jugger from the movie and all they hear is just like us shit on their their life's work. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, so this so it movie's called The Blood of Heroes, which is a bad name, uh, just because it's super generic. I mean, it'd be fine if it was like a war movie or something, but it's like it's also just not that evocative for the first like ninety five percent of this movie, and then someone he, like, he some, says it. Yeah, he says it at the end. Somebody's like in a re- well. Um, the woman says the aristocrat woman drinks some of the blood and she says i love tasting the blood of heroes and it's like that's the first time the line feels in any way pertinent to the movie because these guys don't feel like heroes they feel like schlubs for most of the movie and then at the end of the movie they're supposed to just like become heroes and i think that's part of the movie's problem like i think that the other title i think it's unruly as shit but salute of the jugger or salute to the jugger yeah salute to the juggers or salute of the juggers it's were the alternate titles which is amazing because it's just amazing from contrast because they had two extremes to choose from they had a generic movie title title that could have applied to probably a good 40 percent of every movie ever made yeah (laughs) and then they put the salute of the juggers which a could not literally could not apply to any other movie and two makes no sense in the context of the movie, um, <laughs> except that they use Jugger. Yeah, like, uh, and also, like, imagine. No wonder they changed the name when it came to America. Like, Blood of Heroes is a marginal improvement because, like, imagine it's seeing a TV ad for Salute to the Jugger, and you're like, "Hey, I don't know what a Jugger is." They either hear they either hear Jugger correctly and go, "I don't know what the fuck that is," or never ever put proper made up nouns in the title of your movie. Just don't. Yeah. No, don't. don't. And it, it also sounds like news on the march, like yeah. like something you'd watch at like a real bef- in World War Two before a movie. Like salute to the Jaggers. <laughs> <laughs> the Jaggers are taking the North African coast, and and Blood of Heroes sounds like a really sweaty World War Two movie too. Like it's it's so weird. Um, neither of them are evocative of what the movie is. I mean, like you can call a movie the Terminator because like Terminator is a capital is a uppercase pronoun that. Is you know evocative though? Yeah, you can't like, call it the Jugger because then it's like, oh, everyone, oh, a Terminator. What, what did you call guy. your movie? Yeah. <laughs> the Juggler. Yeah, exactly. People either think it's Jugger or they think it's Jugglers, and then and then they see Ruger Hauer looking all mean in the desert, and they're like, "This movie's about Jugglers." Yeah, salute to the Jugglers. God, <laughs> that sounds like a Mister Show sketch. Yeah, it does. <laughs> like about like uh like roadie jugglers and like it has like cinema verite cameras inside their trailers and they're like yeah sometimes people uh they just want to throw uh, other objects up on stage see if i can juggle and i i just i, I don't think they understand the work that we put into this like we just want to entertain the nice people <laughs> it, it's basically just their ventriloquist sketch but with juggling yeah this movie also does something super dirty i think where it says from the writer of uh, blade runner and when you read that, you think it's a Philip K. Dick movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like a technically true thing. Yeah, it is. But um, like, it's like, yeah, I guess. 
Because when you hear, they use that in Minority Report. Like any other movie, they don't, no one says from the author of how I uh, do androids dream of electric sheep. It's always from the writer of Blade Runner. And in this case, it actually means the writer of the movie Blade Runner. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Couldn't say from the writer of Unforgiven. He hadn't written that shit yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> this movie feels like a dare from someone who was like, hey, oh, oh, Mr. First Time Director, uh, tell you what, I quit. I don't like what you're doing. I'm leaving. And everyone turns to the director and is like, how are we going to make a movie without a set designer? And he's like. I'll be able to do that, no problem. <laughs> because <laughs> there's like no sets in this movie at all. Well, until the very until the very though. end. Yeah. Yeah, they shot in Australia, which meant like they basically just like they just dragged some shitty huts around, then they were like, This is the village, and then they go to a new village and they're like, This is also the village. Yeah. Um This is ten million dollars, ten million dollars for nineteen ninety, which today would definitely be more. Um, it's twenty billion. Damn more, yeah, a hundred. Like million. I said, you're you're, you're <laughs> ruining a running joke that we've done a couple times now. Like <laughs> you by giving an actual inflation cost. Uh, fuck you, Peter. Um, <laughs> but uh, are you just mad because I picked this movie? No, I'm. You know what? I'm not mad that you picked this movie because I think it's a rarity to be able to do a movie that I don't know fucking anything about. That is a luxury that I rarely have in my life because. Besides uh, movies being what I spend most of my free time doing, but I also worked in a video store and I read reviews and I read articles about movies. Super rare that there's some American movie that I've never heard of. And you know what? Some of those will end up being really good. There are so many forgotten gems or overlooked stuff. I don't think that's this movie, but I'm I'm honestly – I know you were kind of saying it facetiously, but I'm honestly not annoyed because – I would have loved for this podcast to have the opportunity to go, holy shit, guys, blood of heroes, check that out. And the fact that we didn't have that chance is fine. Like, we can do um, – and I'm also happy that we have a movie that we don't like that's not fucking offensively hateable like Mother's Day. There's nothing hateable in this. It's just not a good movie. Yeah, it's uh, it's got all the generic – problems that post-apocalyptic movies have and its own unique problems that were fun to talk about but yeah this is not a recommendation at all um i don't really have many highlights like uh, it's 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 funny to me when you're watching a post-apocalyptic movie and for currency people are handing in like nuts and bolts as the money who decided that that was like the means like what happens if like you fucking like bed falls apart do you just like need to go into your wallet and get like a like i just don't get why movies just decide like we need to have a currency in here too oh yeah leaves are currency now because they're in the desert <laughs> so if you get a leaf that's like 10 million dollars yeah so i i have no i have like nothing like on this movie like i'm hitting rock bottom like, what's so interesting about this movie and i kind of realized it an hour in is it does feel like a movie that would have been on uh, mystery science theater 3000 like it looks like it it was shot like it it, especially in the way that we watched it. And it also feels like one of those movies on Mystery Science Theater 3000 that the movie itself isn't enough to sustain the riffing. So, like, 45 minutes, you're like, yeah, what else is on? I don't know about you and how your Mystery Science Theater 3000 fandom is or not, but I've watched a ton. 
of Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes, probably 100, maybe 150 of the 200 or whatever they have. I've probably finished like 33% of those because there is a point where the movies are so bad and so uninteresting that the jokes only carry you so far. And I feel like this would have been one of those movies where there's nothing interesting happening on screen. So even even the mocking and the jokes can't carry you through the full 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, – I think that the, the Mustard Sense Theater 3000 thing is also uh, pretty apt because of how sleepy I am watching some of those transfers. Yeah. So, it, it, there's just like – yeah, the, they, the jokes need to be hitting because otherwise like that sort of um, – VHS uh, real thing where you can see these like uh, bars going across the screen. Yeah, like, that was of... that was that was so weird to see on my sixty-five uh, inch four K TV uh, to just be like, what is this? And I had watched it first before Peter, and Peter mentioned that he's like, what the fuck is with this transfer? And I messaged him. Oh, thank God. I thought my internet connection was failing. Yeah. It's like, pretty oh, bad. the net neutrality has been overturned. Now I'm fucked. Yeah. I, I, I've actually sent – there was one other movie that I sent back, basically. I just sent an email to Amazon saying, like, this is untenable and I'm not paying $4 for this. But, um, yeah. So, let's uh, – I, I don't I don't, I don't really have anything else, to be honest. It's not good. And I'm bummed that we didn't do Future Sport with Dean Kane and LL Cool J instead. <laughs> yeah uh, real movie real no it, I, I keep mentioning that movie only because it is called future sport and i would constantly see it at the video rental store and i'm like one of these days i'm gonna rent future sport because i want to watch all the sci-fi movies in this little area and i don't even know if it's available to rent or if anyone's ever heard of it but i do think it's funny that we did a future sport month and then didn't do future didn't sport. do future sport that's pretty <laughs> yeah. hilarious yeah yeah complete pass because to be honest, I don't know. A lot of movies that don't fit into months that we still want to do, we're like, oh, we'll fit that in somewhere else. I don't know where the fuck else we're fitting in the movie Future Sport if it's not into Future Sport Month. Ooh, what if we don't fit it in? <laughs> so this joke of an idea I had, you're saying we're never going to do Future Sport? <laughs> Probably not. It's not available to rent on Amazon. That sounds like a never proposition to me. It's got Vanessa Williams. Oh, it's got Wesley Snipes. It's not LL Cool J. I'm racist. Oh, no. Um, LL Cool J is in uh, the Rollerball remake, isn't he? Oh, yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. I mean, you're still uh, probably racist, but. Still definitely a little bit. Um, it, wait, it's from the director of Bloodsport. Hold on. It says special. No, actually, it's not from the director of Bloodsport. It says or the, the tagline is organized sport, period, Bloodsport. <laughs> and then the movie Future Sport. Thank you but for, it's, for clarifying. It's, hold on. It's special guest appearance by Wesley Snipes. Which means he probably shows up like on a balcony to yell at somebody for five seconds and then he leaves. And all it was was them just uh, them just yelling at what – throwing rocks at Wesley Snipes' window until he showed up and then filmed <laughs> Yeah. The second tagline on the same poster is, in 2025, a revolutionary sport is the only way to stop a revolution. Guys – uh, that's been Future Sport. Uh, let us know what you think in the comments. Yeah, don't let us know what you think about the Blood of Heroes. No. Or Juggling. Let's, I'm going to put Blood of Heroes slash Future Sport <laughs> as covered. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. So, yeah, Rollerball, just a me and Pete episode. Yeah, and then the last one is wow, The Running wow. Man. 
with Peter Schubert, who is calling in from Germany, and we are very, very excited to have him on the show. Yep. Double Pete's. <laughs> double Pete's. Take Looking down sweets. the barrel of a double Pete. <laughs> <laughs> how, how are you going to deal with that? I think you need um, to Well, I'll probably call one of you Peter and the other one um, Peter. <laughs> Edit that out, please. Wait, are German accents offensive now? Only when you do them. <laughs> I did like I did like I did like creepy Nazi from one of the Indiana Jones movies because I couldn't think of how to do a better German accent. I did no. I did like the guy that has his stuff burned into his hand. Oh yeah, that guy's pretty cool. The guy's like, hey, yeah. We 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 wish to find the pendant. <laughs> I did the Peter Lore German accent. Yes. <laughs> All right. Good night, everyone. Good night. Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out to us at either our website, WLTWpodcast.com, or our Facebook group, facebook.com backslash we love to watch. And uh, yeah, reach out to us, give us some feedback, give us some support, uh, suggest movies for the show, all that. We are also available on SoundCloud, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iTunes. Thanks for listening.